Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. In this episode, we are going to be continuing our series of retrospectives with one of the most broken magic sets ever. Released on October 12th, 1998, Urza's saga resulted in one of the worst periods of constructed magic in history and led to an overhaul of how magic cards were developed. Uh, But before we jump into the story, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Let's start with the story versus saga. And by that, I mean uh, not, not the story on the cards, but the... Just what was going on at the time. Yeah, th- this is like right when my perception of magic was taking hold. So all of this is like very nostalgic for me. <laughs> so there was a period of time following the release of Urza Saga called Combo Winter. Uh, and we, we can't have a conversation about Urza Saga without talking about Combo Winter and the absurd lengths that wizards went to in order to salvage constructed magic. Uh, so let's start with bannings in standard. While bannings in standard have become more common in recent years, uh, with 2021 being the first year since 2016 to have no cards banned in standard, uh, this is like a relatively new thing. There were no standard bannings from 2000 until the first of the Mirrodin standard bannings in 2004. And after the last of the Mirrodin block bannings in March 2005, there were zero bannings in standard for a 12-year period. You you can sort of see, like, standard bannings are an aberration, um, but you could argue that the reason Magic went through these, like, relatively long periods without standard bannings was because R&D was extremely gun-shy about printing powerful cards, just because of how things... Well, how bad things got during Urza block. Uh, so, how bad were they? <laughs> pretty, pretty bad. Do you want me to to get into that? Yeah, yeah, please. Basically, like their stuff was kind of already like there was a competitive scene that was, um, like kind of formed. It was the the beginnings of like the. Uh, DCI and um, a bunch of tournaments were happening and people were starting to like show up to these tournaments. They're becoming bigger and bigger. And it was the early advent of like the internet and forums and stuff like that. So this is like December of 1998. Urza Saga was released two months earlier and uh, Tolarian Academy and Windfall were banned in standard. Um, So two months later, they have two cards banned. Uh, and so Tolarian Academy, for those who uh, maybe need a refresher, it's a land. It enters untapped, and it taps for a blue for each artifact you control. Uh, Windfall <laughs> is one blue blue for a sorcery. It says everyone discards their hand and draws cards equal to the highest number of cards discarded that way. So you can kind of see <laughs> where this is going. You drop a bunch of cheap artifacts and whatnot. Uh, you drop an Urza's or a Tolarian Academy, and then you windfall a hand back, and that was a little bit too much. So, okay, we ban it. Cool. Fair enough. So, draw seven's too good for an environment with two years worth of cards, you know? A little bit too mm-hmm. good. 
So um, another card in this deck that was uh, very important. Well, I guess I'll get to that in this this next part. So the, oh, yeah, it's it's coming back up in the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few cards that saw play in multiple versions of these decks. So Lotus Petal, Mind Over Matter, and we'll we'll talk more about them, Ancient Tomb, stuff like that. So. The first round of bannings in 1998 didn't actually fix things, though, because players began just leaving. So they they realized that they had to... Uh, well, they first realized that Urza Saga was just part of the problem. And then the basically the entire Tempest block and like Urza Saga were filled with fast mana and like draw engines, these powerful engines that allowed players to like turn resources from like one to one or better <laughs> um just churning through decks whatever just the game got way too fast and the best thing to do is just not to interact with your opponent so when the next round of standard bannings were announced this is, was like march in of uh, 1999 uh, there were two more cards banned from urza saga it was fluctuator and time spiral um so how, <laughs> so Time Spiral didn't see a banning the first time through. And so Time Spiral, which I will talk about uh, many more times in this episode, is a six mana sorcery. It's four blue blue. Uh, when you cast Time Spiral, you may untap up to six lands. And uh, and they can be your opponents if you, you want to be nice. Um, <laughs> and it says uh, each player shuffles their hand in library, uh, sorry, hand and graveyard into their library. And draw seven cards. Uh, so you basically you spend six, you shuffle your hand in graveyard in your library, you draw seven cards, you untap six lands. Uh, you're basically right back where you started, except you have six lands untapped, but also probably more. You probably might, floating a little bit of mana. Yeah, yeah probably floating some mana. Thanks yeah, to your ancient tombs and, and Tolarian academies and whatnot. <laughs> so um, a little bit too good once again. So Fluctuator is an artifact that says uh, cycling cost costs two less to, to activate. Um, so you can just pitch basically every card you draw because every card you draw has cycling. Of oh, yeah, conveniently generic. there were uh, six lands with cycling two in mm-hmm. Urza's Saga. So you could have your entire mana base be cyclable. Mm-hmm. That yeah, was very nice. yeah. So another deck that just was you churn through your entire deck and do a thing. Banning these cards basically meant that like a bunch of cards from Tempest block evaded banning. So oh even, no, no no sorry this in the same ban banning decision like oh yeah I see what you're going with this Go yeah yeah so so the, these first bans happened but it just meant that these other engines that people were starting to take note of were were ruining things too and so this is. From Tempest Block in particular had Earthcraft, Lotus Petal, Dream Halls, Recurring Nightmare. So a week after the initial announcement of bannings, Memory Jar from Urza's Legacy was added to the list. And that banning went to effect for all of those cards I just mentioned uh, on April 1st, 1999. So they they kind of went, looked back, went, oh, oh man, like this is too much. <laughs> we have to ban all seven of these cards. So again, Earthcraft is a two mana enchantment, one on a green. You can tap a creature you control to untap a basic. Lotus Petal is a zero mana artifact that says tap sack this at a mana of any color. Dream Halls is an enchantment that says uh, any player can, instead of paying the mana cost for a spell, can discard a card that shares a color with it to cast that spell without paying its mana cost. Um, also pretty good with Time Spiral and Mind Over Matter and Tolarian Academy and a bunch of stuff going on. So, Recurring Nightmare is an enchantment that is basically this 
incredibly hard to interrupt like recursive loop with uh the free creatures so like uh great whale, great whale. Palancron. yeah you can basically like net a bunch of mana with also some of these above cards the ancient tombs and whatnot the Delirian academy is more likely and uh keep playing these spells and it was just pretty gnarly so all of this plus memory jar which is a five mana artifact that says tap sack memory jar uh, each player uh, exiles their hand face down draw seven cards and then at the end of the turn you discard your hands and get your old hands back you return your cards to your hand pretty good way to make your opponent discard seven cards on your <laughs> turn uh, turned out so that one was also pretty good so all of these cards banned on april 1st 1999 just a little look at the memory jar list you're going to notice some some key offenders here it had four memory jars it had three grim monoliths four lotus petals three voltaic keys uh four mox diamonds you know it's just a city of traders ancient tombs it had like all these things uh yagmas will to do it all again all these cards that just were like pretty <laughs> and made everything go way too fast but this is the problem, and I think you can take over from this part. Standard still wasn't fixed after all of these cards. Um, things were still messed up, and people were still leaving, and the competitive scene was still dominated by uninteractive combo decks. Yeah, it wasn't until Mind Over Matter was banned in June of 1999 that the banning ceased. And Mind Over Matter is another engine that easily allows you to convert resources it is uh two blue 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 so six mana for an enchantment that allows you to discard a card to tap or untap target artifact creature or land so you can basically like every card you discard you can turn that into mana or you can like tap down your opponent's lands and keep them interacting with you so that's fun but then again who's interacting in this standard environment yeah (laughs) um but uh, you know, there's so many ways in this format to convert mana into cards at like a better than one to one rate. Like if you're paying five mana for your memory jar, um, you're in drawing seven cards off of it, or if you're putting six mana into your uh, time spiral and getting, you know, seven cards plus all your initial mana back, uh, or even other ways as well. Even after those cards were banned, mind over matter, still easy conversion of like resources at a one-to-one rate was still much too good. So interestingly, even though that is the end of the bannings, bannings weren't the only tool used to try to rein in the out-of-control Urza block standard environment. (laughs) In kind of an eerie foreshadowing of uh, the alchemy format on Arena, Wizards tried its hand at issuing power level errata on cards. So they would add the text, if you played it from your hand, to the ETB triggers on Great Whale, Palancron, Karmic Guide, and other powerful creatures being slotted into Recurring Nightmare and other engines. You know, Great Whale, one of the one of the premier combo pieces of the time, Palancron, another one of them, uh, initially were seven mana for creatures that entered the battlefield and untapped seven lands. And when you were just reanimating that with Recurring Nightmare or doing other stuff to get it into play kind of cheatily, that just would net a whole bunch of mana for usually less than seven mana investment um but in this case they like just nerfed all these cards to the point where you couldn't really play them unfairly 
uh, palancron you could it's still worth some things you could do but um this is not a great idea per mark rosewater the intent of this errata was to avoid adding even more cards to the ever-growing standard ban list but just like imagine the chaos it must have caused uh you're at friday night magic in 1999 and you try to play a combo deck your opponent tells you that your great whale doesn't work that way anymore and that it's been given errata so that it only untaps your lands if you cast it. Uh, how do you know they're even telling the truth? Yeah. Like Nobody has a smartphone. Uh, the computer at the front of the store might not even be connected to the internet. Uh, you, you literally have to call up the wizard's customer service line to yeah. find out how your cards were. That's, that's a vibe. The, the w- calling wizard's customer service to make sure a card interaction worked <laughs> was like a thing that people had to do. Yeah, so so writing about this decision in 2014, uh, Mark Rosewater says, uh, we felt it was bad for the game. As a whole, cards should do what they say and say what they do. It's amazing to believe that this wasn't true in an era where people didn't have smartphones to look up oracle wordings or even have a reasonable way to resolve disputes other than asking the most senior player at the store or calling wizards. Oh, yeah. Uh, It would be easy to assume that smartphones could handle this kind of change today, but that's not the game we want to present to players. Um, so, yeah, very clumsy way like of trying to handle the situation. Uh, seems like it just created more confusion and ill will. Um, but before we sort of move on to the next section, this is a season's past episode. We are going to be talking a lot about the, the mechanics and the some of the cycles and the, the commanders and relevant commander cards. Um, but before we move on to, to later sections, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the decks that people were playing at the time and yeah. what they can do. Oh, absolutely. Um, so as, as you mentioned, there was like an incredibly powerful memory jar deck, just some of the back of the envelope, quick sketches of decks following like the, the release of memory jar or rather like the, the publishing of memory, memory jar scared the heck out of wizards and that's why they kind of added it to the like ban list like a week after everything else it was just like whoops we got to do this as well because jar um was just like the power it was both the kind of the win condition and also like the draw engine for a lot of decks like you could even just like paying five mana isn't how what people were doing with this because in the same set, they printed Tinker, which is uh, two and a blue uh, for a sorcery sacrifice. Is it sorcery or an instant? Um, oh, Tinker is a... I thought it was an instant, but I'm, I, it's probably a sorcery. Oh, okay, I, I don't right, think sorcery. it's that... Yeah. <laughs> not quite that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, Tinker, t- I mean, it's not legal in Commander, so why would I know what it does? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's... Two and a blue for a sorcery as initial cost to cast it, sacrifice an artifact, search your library for an artifact card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So really, people are paying three mana to get out their memory jar and cats and like draw seven cards. Uh, and they're often like netting mana off of those cards because they've got more fast mana like Dark Ritual, Mox Diamond, Lotus Petal, Mana Vault. Sometimes they're di- drawing into like more tinkers, more memory jars. Uh, and then the kill condition is just like the Megrim, uh, forcing your opponents to discard a bunch of cards with your memory jar and mm-hmm. burning mm-hmm. them out. Um, but even like the fair decks in this format were just like 
so obviously unfun on their surface. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this next deck? Oh god, yeah, this is one of my favorite like historical decks. This is Wildfire. So Wildfire is a six mana sorcery that uh says each player oh so it's four and red red. So six mana uh four and two red. Each player sacrifices four lands. Wildfire deals four damage to each creature. So wipes the board, destroys mana bases. Um, and what you're doing with this is you you have uh like three Masticors, some covetous dragons, a Karn Silver Golem, um, and you just have a bunch of artifacts that like stick around that don't really matter <laughs> like that that are getting you uh, they're not going to get blown up by the wildfire is what i mean by that so like your lands doesn't really matter you got three ancient tombs four city of traders 13 mountains you're just getting to the point where you can cast wildfire mess up their game plan but you still have your fire diamonds voltaic keys grim monoliths thran dynamos you know all that kind of stuff and then you win with uh either floating mana and casting your like masticore or something or your four cursed scrolls and cursed scroll is one of my favorite like win conditions in magic <laughs> the gathering it's um so it's a one mana artifact that says three tap name a card reveal a card at random from your hand if it's the named card cursed scroll deals two damage to target creature or player so if you have one card in hand this just is pay three tap deal two to any creature or player um well i guess it's actually any target these days but um like just so funny that this was the win con you're like oh well, you can't do anything well i'm gonna kill your like mana dorks i'm gonna ping your face uh i'm gonna untap it my noting mm-hmm. it is worth noting that uh the creatures in this deck were chosen for their ability to potentially survive the wild oh that is like, true i should probably write like- yeah, a readout, or, or you can read out the... Um, oh, I, I can read them out. So Masticore is four mana for a 4-4 four, four artifact creature Masticore. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice it unless you discard a card. And it has two generic Masticore deals one damage to our creature, or two generic regenerate Masticore. So with if you have eight mana in play, you could act, you could um, regenerate the Masticore and then cast your Wildfire and it would get regenerated. Uh, another important creature in this deck is Covetous Dragon. This is four and a red for a 6-5 creature dragon with flying. When you control no artifacts, sacrifice Covetous Dragon. So it kind of chose some creatures that like you could easily cast early on and then just have them live through the wildfire. Uh, so there's multiple ways that this deck is breaking the symmetry on this card and enabling itself its ability to like play through something that would shut down most decks this is funny because like they would reprint wildfire again in later standards and it it would follow a very similar pattern so like in odyssey block standard uh we had magnivore which was a four mana two and two red uh hasty creature that was as big as the number of sorceries in all graveyards um so it was just they didn't learn their lesson. <laughs> like this deck was like so brutal, and then they just didn't really <laughs> didn't get much better later on. So um, there's another. Uh, well, there, there's um. I guess we'll talk about a few decks as we go through this, but uh, I, I think that's the the most granular look uh, we're gonna do. We've already gone through because now we can get into the mechanics. You can kind of see just like oh, 
okay, yeah. So it wasn't just wildfire. It wasn't just jar. It was like the whole everything. <laughs> everything was mm-hmm. ubered up. Yeah. So I'll start with uh, cycling, which was a mechanic that was on 34 cards. Although there were a lot of individually busted cards in the environment, um, this is like cycling is one of the greatest mechanics of all time. And uh, fortunately, it was not overshadowed by all the the messy stuff because they also printed Fluctuator. Uh, We mentioned this card briefly earlier, but Fluctuator is a two mana artifact. And uh cycling cost you cast or rather cycling abilities you activate cost up to two less to activate so everything in urza saga all the cycling cards had cycling two so that means with fluctuator out all of them cycled for free you can turn through your deck uh there were some lists that like try to get a bunch of creatures in the graveyard and then win with like a songs of the damned i think this is like in extended at the time uh, Songs of the Damned is one mana, add black for each uh, creature card in your graveyard. So then you could like drain life your opponents or something. Uh, there were a couple decks that were trying to do that. Uh, <laughs> aside from the, the busted combo deck, cycling, obviously an excellent addition to the game, has been uh, revisited many times and is now uh, just kind of deciduous. Like any deck can, or any any set can use cycling if it wants to, and we sort of saw them using that for the triomes in Streets of Nukapenna. Tell us about the other, or the next mechanic, the next biggest mechanic in Urza Saga. Yeah, so this one gets, I think, is the one that gets um, washed away the most, and like, the old timers remember, um, but it's Echo. So Echo was a downside mechanic, basically, that it was usually a creature that was above rate, but you had to pay the echo cost the turn after. So basically how echo reads is uh, on your next upkeep after the permanent enters the battlefield under your control, you pay its echo cost or sacrifice it. Um, and this, this was a headache for so many reasons. So if you just see a card that says echo, it's echo cost is the mana cost. Uh, so like an example was pouncing Jaguar. It's a two, two uh, cat for a single green mana, just one green um green pip two two cat oh cool sounds good but it has echo so you pay it turn one and it's just a one mana two two and then on turn two you have to pay the green one more time or you sacrifice it and if you miss the trigger then you could call a judge or or your opponent could call a judge and they could make you sacrifice the thing so it was not like the most new player friendly mechanic (laughs) um definitely kind of kind of uh feel bad there and and this is just something mag- magic designers were addicted to they just loved downside mechanics um and it's never other than like master sets or like time spiral this has not been reprinted outside of um the urza block and yeah and so you can kind of see why yeah <laughs> this is not coming back in like a standard legal set for sure no yeah it was it was new player unfriendly um it was entirely focused on like spike you're like oh cool a three three that regenerates for two mana i just have to pay two mana next turn like it the gameplay for like a new player they're like what like i have to do it again what like they just didn't it didn't catch on yeah um, like the thing is you have to 
you need to be like a pretty enfranchised player to understand like the relative value of like stats to mana and sort of like the the context um and and also just like what has been printed over the years in order to evaluate a creature and, and see like oh this is actually pretty good stats relative to what we've historically seen and what's good in the current environment uh and like those are some really subtle skills that a lot of players especially like casual players take a lot of time to develop and and so like this is a mechanic that just like the majority of your players are not going to understand the benefit of yeah absolutely um which gets us to the next one where I feel like every player can see the, <laughs> the benefit of. Um, and this next mechanic was only on four cards in Urza Saga. Um, it was used throughout the Urza's block. Um, and this is the free mechanic that we're talking about. So basically what this does is a, a the free mechanic spells. It wasn't a named mechanic. It just would be on spells. And it says, uh, you untap blank number of lands so like uh when so and so enters the battlefield untap like seven lands for the case of great whale which is just a five five for seven like five and two blue or time spiral it says um each player shuffles uh, their hand and graveyard into their library then draws seven cards exile time spiral you untap six lands um so in urza saga this was only on four cards throughout the block it was on more and you can pretty much don't need to be playing magic that long to see how good that is like mm-hmm. you basically can play some like intro games with your bud and then look at time spiral and go wait it just and then i just have six mana. <laughs> it's pretty good so w- one of the reasons for this was back in the day they didn't want to reuse mechanics uh and or didn't want to reuse them very often and cantripping was something that they thought of as a mechanic, not just like a way to make the game flow, but like an actual tool that they'd have to put back on the workbench uh, and then use something else for the next set to make that set function. So um, I think, did you post this? Is this from Mark Rosewater? Oh, oh well, this is uh, <laughs> not a direct quote, but essentially Mark Rosewater was really interested in... Uh, I mean, he's a designer. He, he thinks about, um, like, if a cantrip is a spell that doesn't cost you a card, like, what if we made a spell that doesn't cost you mana? So just sort of, like, examining something that was popular uh, but couldn't be used and kind of uh, flipping it to its its reverse. And uh, that's an interesting idea, and it probably should have... It, it might have been fine on, like, very small effects. Um, like Gutshot is oh, arguably a fair magic card, um, but instead they put it on like extremely expensive things. And yeah. <laughs> something that was not obvious about the mechanic was that um, <laughs> that the more expensive you made the card, the better it was, especially for like creatures. Like the more un- lands you are untapping, uh, the more easily like something like a Great Whale just enables combos. Uh, so kind of a, a whoopsie there. This is not something that they've played around in since, uh, for good reason. Free spells are just one of the easiest ways to break the game, especially if they like do something powerful, relevant, something you can easily 
hook into some other engine. Yeah, like a lot of free spells were pretty problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like pretty, I think every single one of them has been. Well, I don't think every Re- single one I of think them. But rewind was mostly okay because it. Like, yeah, it's reactive. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really get the benefit unless someone else is doing something because they've talked about that. They put that in core sets and stuff in the the past mm-hmm. or after this. Um, but yeah, free spells when the effect is too proactive. Um, so if you play Popper, they've banned a lot of free spells. <laughs> like most of my decks in Popper have been banned over the years because I really liked Cloud of Fairies um, and like things that make things cheaper. My first Popper deck was Popper Storm. Um, I have a few non messed up popper decks now, but I really liked like gush and stuff like that. Like that was really fun and it's fun to play spells that are free. Um, but when there is no internet and there's not really multiple formats being played and there's no command, like if standard is bad, uh, you can retreat to commander or you have a cube or something like that. But uh, and and nowadays you have all these options to keep playing magic and not really worry about it. But back then, most people that played magic, like if you weren't just playing kitchen table magic, um, you were playing competitive. You had a standard deck. And if standard is bad, you just don't play magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oops. Um, which gets us to the next bunch of cards that messed a bunch of stuff up. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so this is uh, the first cycle we're going to be talking about. This is the legendary land cycle, perhaps the most imbalanced cycle ever. Um, yes, three of three of these cards are on the reserve list, uh, and one of them is so worthless that it was reprinted in the Dominaria United Commander decks. Uh, I'm going to read them off, and we'll see if you can guess which is which. Yeah. So first is Sarah's Sanctum. This is a legendary land that taps and to add white for each enchantment you control uh, Telerian Academy we've mentioned it before the legendary land it taps to add blue for each artifact you control Phyrexian Tower is a legendary land that taps for one colorless or you can tap it and sacrifice a creature to add black black to your mana pool Shivan Gorge is a legendary land it taps for one colorless mana and you can pay two and a red and tap it to deal one damage to each opponent and Gaia's Cradle is a, leg- is a legendary land it taps to add green for each creature you control uh clearly some of these cards are, are doing something a little bit different the one others. of these things is not like the other yeah uh so not only was Telerian academy like extremely busted in part because there was so much like fast artifact mana in this environment but of course gaia's cradle has gone on to be a powerhouse in many formats especially mm-hmm. like elf decks uh this is there are just so many like cheap green creatures that provide value of their own that Kai's Cradle works so well with. Um, and Sarah's Sanctum has uh, seen play. It's a little less easy to just flood enchantments onto the board, but there have been powerful decks that have leveraged it over the years. Uh, and the other two cards are also in the set. Yeah. <laughs> so one of them is is very like is merely very good. So Phyrexian Tower is just a it's one of the best sack outlets cuz it's a mana ability. So it's like yes. faster than pretty much anything. Um and it, it's good. You know, the sacking a creature to get to, there's a lot of applications for that. Like that's just simply a very good card, right? 
and even taps for mana outside of that you can cap for a colorless if you don't want to sack anything so you're not even like missing out on a land drop like maybe a cabal coffers or if you don't have an enchantment out with sarah sanctum like turn one through three or something like that um but Shivan Gorge <laughs> is just an absolute embarrassment. Like three mana to deal one to your opponents. Like think of the rate on that. Like compare that to even just like like Phyrexian Tower. Like like the difference in that. Like the delta between the power level of the two of them. You're like with this one, I can convert one resource into mana and like progress my game plan. And the other one, I take a bunch of mana and turn it into one damage. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's... Ugh, God, so they they really did red dirty um, with these cycles. This was not the only uh, cycle of lands that red really got shafted, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, especially around this time period. So um, I don't know. These are all uh, legends in their own rights now for multiple reasons. Um, some good, some bad. And this is where they came from. So do we want to get to the uh, the next cycle? These ones are actually pretty fun. I actually think most players yeah, yeah. enjoy these cards. <laughs> sure. So the next cycle is self-recurring auras. Um, the most famous of which is, of course, Rancor. Um, so Rancor, we'll, we'll give you an example. They, they basically all follow this kind of template. But Rancor is a single green mana for an enchantment aura with enchant creature. An enchanted creature gets plus two plus O oh and has trample. When Rancor is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, return Rancor to its owner's hand. So all of these auras uh, returned themselves to your hand when you when they hit the graveyard. So uh, this is kind of like the prototype for equipment. Um, really just like Rancor was the one that saw the most play at the time, but there are decks that are interested in this kind of thing. Um, it's funny to see how like things have or or, like how the designers like kind of returned the same well and like oh we didn't quite get that right or this wasn't quite capturing the gameplay we wanted and then seeing them come back years later and then nailing it like just the the iteration involved over the years is kind of interesting yeah yeah, I, I do think because we got the the most recent edition of this is the um, Draconic Destiny or whatever. You know, we had the Angelic Destiny that did something pretty similar to this. So th- this is a cool space to play in, you know. Um, and I think players really liked this. Like, obviously, there's the story about Rancor, um, which was supposed to be two mana, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but it ended up being even more strong and just a player favorite because of that. and um, I would say sits at a very good place in the the scope of magic at this point, you know, like looking at all of commander legacy standard or like Rancor is just a fun card. Um, so these, these are cool, um, which is going to get us into the commanders. Um, so those are all the mechanics, basically the, the repeated mechanical tools that were put in the set, but this set also had like, it was telling a story. So it had um, a few characters that had come up a bunch of times uh, throughout the weatherlight stuff um so uh two in particular one who uh, is one of my favorite magic characters ever which was karn silver golem um so karn is i, I think still a fun tech. this is uh a five mana four four legendary artifact creature uh whenever karn 
blocks or becomes blocked, uh, he gets minus four, plus four until end of turn. So he's a four, four for five, but in combat, he's a zero, eight um, because he was a pacifist. And I always thought that was really cool when I was a kid. I still think it's cool. And he has one target non-creature artifact is an artifact creature with power and toughness equal to its casting cost until end of turn. So uh, I think the intent of this card was you turn your Thran Dynamo into a 4-4 and attack. But really what ended up happening was like you turn your Thran Dynamo into a 4-4 and now you can like untap it with the things that untap creatures <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. So um, I think this is really cool. Like th- this is an old card. Like it's been 24 years now, but he's still relevant. After all of everything, he's still like one of the most played colorless commanders. He has uh, 1,100 decks on EDH rec as of time of recording, a little over that. Um, and I, I just think that's cool. Like, this is a card that people still want to play that still does a lot. Um, yeah, that, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. It's pretty, I think this is great. Uh, yeah, I th- think this is a really excellent design, uh, both in capturing the flavor of Karn as a pacifist um, and someone with like an, af- an affinity for artifacts, not to just mean generally. An yeah. To, to someone who likes artifacts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and of course like the gameplay is interesting. Like it, there are a lot of fun things you can do with this, not just comboing off. Um, if you like, you can create an army out of nowhere. You can combo it with things like, micas and lattice or liquid metal coating and start sniping lands um just some cool gameplay uh and i'm happy they executed so well on this design that it's still mm, drawing people to it in in modern commander Mm -hmm. and i think the important thing so this is something that nick has noted is is the mean applications of karn because you can be pretty rude (laughs) with this Mm -hmm. guy um so the the most notable thing, like the meanest thing that you can do and the thing that you got to look out for if you're playing against a Karn deck is Mycosynth Lattice. So Mycosynth Lattice is a big uh, big artifact that says like uh, mana can be used to cast spells of any color. Everything's colorless. Everything's an artifact, lands, spells, blah, 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 all that stuff. So what you do is you spend one with the Mycosynth Lattice out to turn your opponent's land into a zero zero creature and then it dies, and then you just keep doing that. So as long as you have uh, like mana, you can make sure your opponents don't, uh, and then you can usually end up winning with, nowadays, a Voltaic Voltaic Construct, which is a 4-mana 2-2 from the Mirrodin block that says, 2, untap target artifact creature. So again, like I was saying, the Thran Dynamo, you can turn it into a 4-4 that taps for 3 mana. Uh, Voltaic Construct will pay two to untap it you net one mana you'd have infinite colorless mana boom so that's the cool stuff the the crazy combos this i think a lot of old-timey players will remember <laughs> as these cards are coming out if you remember karn like coming out then you probably know about these combos at this point but i, I love him i think he's great and i i still put him into decks um i have not made a colorless deck actually and in my commander career, but um, I think Karn would be one of the top contenders, even though Liberator just came out. You know, I think there's a lot of fun stuff to do there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one more. Do you want to talk about this guy real quick? 
Yes. Uh, so Baron Master Wizard is one blue blue for a one one legendary creature wizard or human wizard. Um, and he has two sacrifice permanent return target creature to its owner's hand. So this uh, has not fared the test of time quite as well as Karn has. Um, like, mm, it's not doing exactly what you want to be doing in this color identity. Like, universal sack outlets are pretty interesting, but blue doesn't have a ton of things worth cracking. Like, yeah. you've got your hatching plans, maybe, um, but there's not a lot of easy ways to get synergy off of that. And the, I mean, the fact that it is a bounce engine is compelling. There are fun things you can do with that. Like, you can slot in free creatures and try to reduce their cost or reduce the cost of Baron's ability and get an engine going. You also have to be able to, like, constantly provide sack fodder, and that's not super easy. So, yeah, I don't think this, this card is, like, not quite there, and that's probably why people haven't kept up with it over the years. Mm-hmm. Even in decks where like I've wanted like a universal sack outlet, um, usually those are decks where mana is a thing, and so casting a one one for three, where the then you need to pay two and sack a permanent to do the thing. And sometimes there's just no targets. Like that's the other thing. Sometimes there's like the only creature is like Baron, and you're like, oh well, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely been in that situation with this guy before. Um, because I do still really like Baron. Um, I just hope he gets. I I hope they revisit something like this. It doesn't have to be blue, but it's it's like there are so few universal sack outlets. It'd be fun to get something in a color that. Uh, I mean, we got braids recently, the Arisen Nightmare, the new one, but it'd be fun to get one where I'm more in control of when I can yeah. do the thing. Um. I think there's maybe only like three cards that do that at this point. Thinking that like let you sacrifice. There's definitely cards that blow up your own stuff. But oh, but just letting you sacrifice every anything. Yeah, yeah that's but not super common, and uh, even less common is something that gives you something like especially valuable for doing so. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So yeah i guess those are the commanders uh these were two characters that were very big in the story and uh still are because we just had the brothers war and we're still kind of talking about all these these ancient characters um dominary united looking back at a lot of that so this is going to be i think the biggest section we're going to talk about these are the commander staples in urza saga and who boy are there a lot of them so do you want to you want to start digging into these guys (laughs) yeah i mean i mean it turns out that a set that is known for being powerful uh, has a lot to contribute to commander so we'll try to get through these many many cards relatively quickly um first of course is windfall printed for the first time in Urza saga it is two and a blue for a sorcery each player discards their hand that draws cards equal to the greatest number of cards a player discarded this way and it's in 142,000 decks on edh rec um just a fantastic way to like churn through your deck draw a bunch of cards like typically as with any wheel effect you know it's coming so you're able to dump out the rest of your hand and get the maximum value out of it um unlike some of the modern draw sevens it's not a you may so this also has like disruption potential 
for your opponents who are all about like sculpting their hands. Just a, a cheap, powerful card. Uh, and I think the existence of like Windfall and some of the other, and, and I guess like Time Spiral, the existence yeah. of those cards kind of are, they're like a handicap on any new blue draw spell that gets printed. Because I, I think we've <laughs> mentioned a couple times in set reviews over the past couple of years, like they've printed a lot of good stuff recently. Um, you know, Scattered Thoughts and Memory Deluge and um, and the Snow one from Kaldheim. Like just decent mid-cost instant speed blue draw options. And like the existence of these powerful draw sevens from early in the game's history tend to push out those new cards and prevent them from making as much of an impact in commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, this is the, we're, we're going to put these in order of like most played. This is absolutely just, I mean, they print it in like most pre-cons, you know, mm-hmm. this is just such a ubiquitous staple at this point. Um, and you're right, it does kind of hamper all these other cool spells that they print, because if it's not as good as Windfall, like, what's Why the Why even bother? <laughs> Why even bother? So it's got to be doing something either, like, very particular, or it's got to be better, and it's pretty hard to be better than uh, than this one right here, especially for three mana. So um, do you care if I get into this next one? Go for it. This one is, uh, we actually, not super long ago, maybe it was, because my whole brain is a mush of time this year, but... Uh, on our Discord, we were talking about this card, and it is Victimize. Uh, so Victimize is also a three-mana sorcery, but it is two and a black. Uh, and Victimize says, choose two target creature cards in your graveyard. Sacrifice a creature. If you do, return the chosen cards to the battlefield tapped. Um, so this is a three-mana reanimate two cards at the low, low cost of sacrificing a creature. Um, it's pretty common to have a floater sitting around, or it's even more common in a lot of Aristocrats deck to have a card that wants to die um or a card that like you can just get back really easy like a reassembling skeleton or something like that mm-hmm. so victimizes just very very often a three mana reanimate two things uh, if you've been milling yourself to cheat something out it's incredible there um it's just a good late game like oops well you you wrathed so here's a card and actually it's two creatures from my graveyard like not hard to do so th- this is just very powerful it's really cool again this is a card that they print in a massive amount of commander precons um i would say like every third or fourth black commander precon has a victimize in it, <laughs> which is uh saying something that's a lot considering we get precons with like every set now um so yeah just a good card i don't know if you have anything to add to it uh no i'm happy to move on to the next one um, yeah of it well i will say like victimize is another card where they just don't make him at this rate anymore yeah um so again like it i don't know if we're gonna see reanimation that's ever quite as good or or like all future reanimation kind of gets compared to it but that's that's what happens when you print powerful cards into an eternal format yep okay moving on to the next card uh phyrexian tower we mentioned this earlier uh this is the best sack outlet land uh and it's in 80,000 decks on EDH rec. I happily put this into any deck that's like highly focused on doing reanimation um just as a way to help me reuse my my powerful creatures and it's 
of course, very low opportunity cost relative to Mosak outlets. Um, just a fantastic card and deserves to see as much play as it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just very, very good. This is just simply a good card. And the fact that like it is as expensive it is, as it is, is like kind of upsetting because it's, it's such a cool game piece that fits into so many decks that really doesn't like break anything, you know? It just kind of makes... It greases the wheels of the decks that want it. Um, that I, I I do actually wish that like Phyrexian Towers were not <laughs> the expensive staple that they were. I wish they were just like more ubiquitous. But um, yeah, just a really good card. Um, which is going to be actually a lot of the cards we talk about. So we have a string of one mana cards coming up. Uh, and you'll see why in a second. So this first one we're going to talk about is Gamble. Gamble is in 75,000 decks on EDHREC. Uh, and it is a single red pip. So red for a sorcery. Uh, Gamble says, search your library for a card. Put that card into your hand. Discard a card at random. Then shuffle your library. So um, you might be familiar with the uh, Mystical Tutor cycle. And you might think to yourself, oh, there's no red one. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that's what they thought too. They're like, what if a red, what would a red tutor look like and i think they came up with gamble mm-hmm. um and it's just good especially turn one you're like i have a one in seven chance of ditching the card that i wanted <laughs> pretty good odds even if it's like less than that even if it's like one in four or one in three it's usually worth it to gamble for something especially if you don't mind if it goes to the graveyard you're playing like a chainer or something like that um so a chain or 2.0, the red black one. So gamble, just a good card. It's a single mana red tutor most of the time. So yeah, fantastic card. Not much more to say about it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this is something that they haven't given us at really anything similar to this, like maybe fervent mastery, but not some, certainly not at this rate. Uh, this is like the high watermark for red tutors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, and, and again, we're just not gonna get anything close to this. I think I think the yeah. the days of of this efficient of tutor is uh, over, which uh, you know gets us to the next card. <laughs> uh, this is exploration. It's a single green mana for an enchantment. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Uh, it's in sixty three thousand decks on EDH rec. And yeah, this is another one that's has not quite been eclipsed since then. Um, there have been some similar things like Sakura Tribe Scout um, can can kind of replicate this effect. Uh, it's a little bit slower, but Sakura Tribe Scout is single green mana for a one one, and you can tap put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. But you know, summoning sickness means that that won't happen on the first turn and it's yeah there, there really hasn't been anything quite this powerful although there's still a lot of appetite for similar effects like wayward Sawtooth sees a ton of play dryad of the elysian grove sees a ton of play um their extra land drops are powerful and there aren't i would say the market has not quite been saturated yet yeah um, so it's not we're not at the point like where we are with um with like blue mid cost draw spells where like people just don't even care anymore. 
Um, but if there were a couple more cards on like exploration's power level, then the new ones would stop being relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just like a very good card. It's a chase rare in most sets it's in. Um, and it's just going to always be good for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's very few times an exploration is a bad card in your deck. Um, if you've played every single land in your deck, but you if you haven't ended the game by that point, then uh, you got some other problem. <laughs> um, this next one is the uh, the last of the one mana spells for now. Uh, this is Carpet of Flowers. This is an enchantment, costs a single green. Carpet of Flowers reads, During your main phase, you may add X mana of any one color to your mana pool, where X is the number of islands target opponent controls. Um, so it's the green, one mana green enchantment that is kind of a color hoser, but in actuality just ends up ramping you like a ridiculous amount. Um, I can't remember. Has this been eroded to um, to be the first main phase, or is it both of them still? Uh, I, I believe it's both. I think it's both of them. At the beginning of each of your main phases, yeah. Because I remember yeah. that was how it worked back in the day. It was like, yeah, it's a main phase. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so like, it refunds the mana immediately. Like, you can cast this basically as a ritual. The, yeah. The, the turn you drop it. Yeah, and it makes, like, let's say there's even only two islands for some reason that somebody has. Like, you play it, you get two mana, and then the second main phase you get two more mana. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. wow, crazy. So, um, definitely a good card, and it was an uncommon <laughs> in Nurse's Saga. Um, do you want to get into this next one? This next one is also, I think, uh, just so ubiquitous. Yes. Warm Power Stone is a three-mana artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped, and it taps to add CC. So this is in 52,000 decks on EDH rec. Um, it's, I think that the relative usage of this card has probably gone down over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Like the, the number of decks on EDH rec has certainly gone up, but I think that I'm certainly putting Worn Power Stone into fewer decks than I was 10 years ago. Um, like, I think that ramping to like the six cost stuff doesn't matter quite as much as it used to. Although this is like an important card if you have like an expensive commander or if the the average mana value in your decks is higher. I'm just, I don't look at it with as much love in my eyes as I used to. <laughs> I don't know if that's true for you. Um, I guess I see it more as like a tool. So like if I'm playing like a five mana commander, I'm very often going to play Worn Power Stone. Um, because having five or six mana guaranteed the next turn is um, pretty much exactly where you want to be. Going from turn three to commander is is strong, pretty good in artifact decks. And again, this is another card that we just don't get at this power level anymore. It's like kind of silly as that is, like a uh, a way to go from like turn three to turn six uh, in any color. Just not it's not really a thing mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> They just don't do that. So, um, yeah, I think that the, like you said, the relative usage has gone down just because, honestly, a lot of the most played commanders are the same cost <laughs> as more in Power Stone now. Like, they're all three mana, four mana. So it's just not as relevant um, in as many decks anymore when the format used to be full of, like, six, seven mana commanders. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I still, I still think of it fondly. Which also this next card, I think <laughs> I still think of incredibly fondly. I played this card 
since the minute I started playing Commander, this is Greater Good. Um, so Greater Good is a green enchantment. It costs four mana, two green green, and Greater Good says sacrifice a creature, draw cards equal to the sacrifice creature's power, then discard three cards. So it is in 48,000 decks on EDA track as of time of recording. Uh, this is just a green staple, I think. If you're doing green anything, mono green, green black, if you're doing reanimator stuff, if you're doing discard stuff, if you're doing like personal discard, if you just need a card draw engine, like you just want to be able to cash in big guys in your gore clog deck if people are going to attack, like send spot removal your way like this this card just does so many things um and it gets you so many cards while it's doing it so um i think it also is is, hmm? it also is like very convenient that it works so well with um green token production like because green (laughs) tends to make larger tokens like typically three three or bigger it it's just fantastic synergy with you know even cards that they printed recently like Green sleeves, Morrow Sorcerer, uh, you know, that's Landfall, make a 3 3 Badger, or Titania, Nature's Force, uh, what Forest Fall, make a 5 3 Elemental. The ability to cash in all your guys to either loot through an enormous amount of cards or even like net cards off of this ability is, is really, really fantastic. Um, they have like since pivoted away from sack outlets in green like it doesn't really feel right in that color so we're not gonna see anything like this and in the future outside of like weird color pie bendy stuff like yeah i guess (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) or or like eldritch evolution Mm -hmm. um but yeah really really powerful card fun tool for um the the green fatty decks in the format yeah, so cool. Um, speaking of green fatty decks, um, actually not, well, I guess when I think of this card, sometimes I think of Crater Hoof Behemoth, but mostly I think about Elves, because this is Gaia's Cradle. Um, so we mentioned Gaia's Cradle before. It's a legendary land that taps for a green for each creature you control. And Gaia's Cradle is in 47,000 decks on EDA Trek, and honestly, I think it's constrained merely by the fact that it's like a thousand plus dollars to get a, a copy. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's just not an accessible card for most people, um, which I think keeps its numbers merely by like hovering around the fifty thousand margin, you know. But this card is just incredible. It's just probably too good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is still one of the cards that I think about when there are discussions about ban lists and inconsistencies on the ban list. This uh, this always comes to my mind. I'm always like. But guys, cradle is legal. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, obviously, just a legendary, a legendary card, literally, and in its own right, within like the the meta of Magic and the lore of Magic. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Nope. Other than uh, I'm, I'm ready to move on to this other card, which is also fantastic in Elf decks. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. This is Priest of Titania. It is one in a green for a one-one creature Elf Druid. It taps to add green for each elf on the battlefield. So make sure you're you're counting your opponent's changelings and such. Um, this is in 45,000 decks on EDH rec. And ridiculously, this was printed as a common 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, like one of the most powerful tribal effects ever printed. Um, and, and absolutely essential to any elf deck and commander. Uh, still commands a, a relatively good price. Um, mm-hmm. They've reprinted like a, it like a billion times. Yeah, and you can still get it for, or like it still costs you around five bucks per for this comment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, fantastic card. I don't know if you have anything you want to add. No, yeah, this just is. I don't understand why they thought this was okay, <laughs> but but they did, and here we are. Um, this next one though is, I think, just an awesome design. So this was fertile ground. So this is also a two mana green card. It's one and a green for an enchantment aura that enchants a land. And what does fertile ground do? It says whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana. Its controller adds an additional one mana of any color. So it's mana ramp. It's basically like a different look at like rampant growth. Um, and I think like in a lot of ways does a lot of really cool things. I love that we can get different types of mana ramp like this because this is better with cards that like untap your lands. Um, this is really cool. It doesn't take time to like search out a land put it on the battlefield and then shuffle your library this is just like okay this land is better now uh, and i think really the only reason why these aren't played even more is that like ghost quarters and things exist and people will blow up your like planes with a fertile ground on it over waiting for something that like <laughs> is actually a problem perhaps like a phyrexian tower or guy's cradle <laughs> so um yeah, it's this is something i've always this type of card is something I've always thought like could maybe be spread to other colors. Cause mm-hmm. you're, you're right. Like, you know, fertile ground is a decent card, but it's never going to hit like rampant growth numbers or even like some of the, the numbers of some of the better mana dorks. Like it's just, it's excessive to have all these three types of ramp fully concentrated in green <laughs> yeah no that's definitely true like having a land like or having a, a, a type of card like this that is like you put it on a planes and it's like you can only enchant planes but it does this like that would that would do a lot for white you know <laughs> like uh, yeah it would, like it would you get great cards good. like this that just don't get attention because the other ways of doing things have more hooks more mm-hmm. like mechanical relevance yeah exactly landfall being one of the biggest ones like mm-hmm. this does not get a land out of your deck so even though yes next turn you're in tapping with uh an additional mana uh doesn't really end up mattering because it didn't trigger all those landfall cards it didn't thin your deck out it you know smooths things out but not in a way that most people care about uh, and that's just because green is so land focused um so whatever it's cool and 41,000 decks really enjoy it. I enjoy Fertile Ground in the decks I play it in. Um, which, yeah, gets us next to... Uh, we're, we're about halfway there. Oh, a little more than halfway there on the cards from the set. <laughs> so um, can I read off this next one? Go for it. So this is Peregrine Drake. So Peregrine Drake is a 2-3 flying drake for 5 mana, 4 and a blue. And uh, it's free. It says when Peregrine Drake enters the battlefield, untap up to five lands. Uh, and that that's it. This guy is pretty stupid when you can bounce him. When you have lands that make more, perhaps you've 
cast a fertile ground on a land that you untap with your peregrine drake. Ooh, hey, huh? Mm-hmm. Gets the noggin thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is just a, a pretty good combo piece for a lot of decks, and it is in 41,000 decks at this point. Um, and I really don't think I need to explain too much more <laughs> past that. <laughs> So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm good uh, yeah. to move on if you are. Next card is Rewind. It's two blue-blue for an instant. Counter-target spell, untap up to four lands. Uh, we mentioned this one earlier. This is the most fair of the free cards printed. Uh, it is in 35,000 decks on EDH rec. And uh, it's, you know, it's fine. It, although, yeah. I guess it, it should be noted that uh, there are decks that are still kind of using this as a ritual. You know, being oh, yeah. able to put this in a Baral deck or even a, like a Mizzix deck, you are able to generate mana off of this by reducing the cost. Uh, so still even a, a little bit of unfairness going on, even with this mostly reactive spell. Um, but very neat card. Don't have too much else to say about it. Yeah, you can move it, on if you like. Exactly. It's just, it's nice that you get the reward of feeling busted, but like you had to be playing fair magic in the first place, which is cool. You're like, yeah, I had to hold four mana up in order to do this busted thing. So I think that's, that's a pretty good spot for magic to be. Um, yeah. So this next card is gilded Drake. This is a three, three flying Drake for two mana. Uh, wow. The rate on that one. So what does it do? When Gilded Drake enters the battlefield, exchange control of Gilded Drake uh, for target creature, one of your opponent's controls. Um, and if there are no targets, you do have to sacrifice it. Uh, yeah, so two mana control magic. <laughs> <laughs> the downside being an undercosted 3 3 flyer is just not, that's nothing in Commander. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, so. it's like the Pongify problem. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, this this probably would kill you in twenty life fair magic, but even then, as as we've just gone through, no one was just casting like uh, aggressive creatures. You know, that was just not yeah. what you were doing. So yeah, this this was relegated to eternal formats like Commander, where it is busted as hell. So I'm I'm good if you are. It's in twenty nine thousand decks. Forgot if I said that. And I'll I'll, I'll say one thing about this, or well, I'll say a couple things about this. One, um. This is definitely a card that is uh it's where its adoption is constrained by its scarcity. This is on oh, the reserve yeah. list. Mm-hmm. It was only ever printed in Urza Saga. And it's currently sitting at like $284 on TCG oh, player. <laughs> I didn't even um, realize it was that much. Yeah, so I think if this was like not on the reserve list, if this was something they could reprint, it would see play in significantly more decks. This is like one of the best ways to mess up your opponent's commander sort of like well no it's it's pretty much one of the best ways like it's, yeah. it's not it just demands that they spend removal to kill their own commander which is just love that yeah just um, insane this is also the only card with the line of text this ability still resolves if its target becomes illegal yeah uh, so back in the day there was a fun little trick where you would uh, cast your gilded drake uh, have the ability to, like target your opponent's creature and then you kill your opponent's creature with instant speed removal in response and then the ability would fizzle and you would just get a 3-3 a flyer for 2 mana uh, they 
since like clarified, nah, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it's funny that this is the only cover they've had to do that. Yeah. Um. All right. All right. But with that, I am happy to move on to the next one. Uh, yeah. I can read this off. Yeah. This is abundance. It is two green green for an enchantment. If you would draw a card, you may instead choose land or non-land and reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card with the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and put all other cards revealed this way on the bottom of your library in any order. So abundance has gotten a bit more attention lately uh, because of the printing of Cultivator Colossus. If you have both Cultivator Colossus and Abundance, uh, then you can basically just put every land in your deck onto the battlefield tapped and draw a bunch of cards. Very sweet. It's also gotten a little bit of attention because it was reprinted in the Tyranid deck in Warhammer 40k. Um, but it's, I think that in most decks, if you're just if you're not running any particular synergy with this, I don't know if it's fully worth it. Uh, it's good in in enchantress decks because like it is an enchantment it triggers your triggers your things uh, and you're drawing so many cards off of your enchantresses in that deck that like very quickly the extra lands stop mattering like you 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 know even with extra land drop of drop effects uh it stops becoming relevant so the ability to only draw gas when you want to seems very good yeah yeah, it's a this is like a particular card that I it was a pet card for some friends of mine, so I would see it a lot. But outside of like certain circles, until recently, I just really never saw it come up too often. But it's a cool card. I think this is a like a really interesting design for green. You know, like oh, back in the day when green didn't really get card draw. Well, what if you just got what you needed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the next one is. Uh, famous it's an entire archetype named after it this is sneak attack so sneak attack is a red enchantment it costs three and a red and it has red you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield that creature gains haste sacrifice the creature at the beginning of the next end step um yeah this is the card that spawned an entire archetype (laughs) of uh like sneak and show sneak attack uh through the breach a bunch of cards uh, that were modeled after sneak attack um, through the breach being a, like a, I think the most direct comparison of sorcery that costs five, which is the same, same amount of mana that sneaky cat attack costs to cast and use it um, to put a creature into play, give it a haste and attack and sacrifice it in turn. So th- this is just, it sneaks in ETB triggers. If you have recursion, if you have a bounce outlet, if you have a, a way to, like exile to save the creatures uh this this is just an insanely good magic card it's really fun there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with it super busted (laughs) and uh will go down in history is just like one of the staples of the format it's only in nineteen thousand decks on eda track i'm not sure why why do you think that is is it just like too much like too like what i mean mechanically speaking or or do you think it's the money do you think uh well let me see what it what it's at currently i think it might be just like out of people's awareness um because yeah, it, okay. it's, it's not that it's, bad these days it's in yeah uh like it's like 14 15 ish deck uh dollars so i think part of it is that i wonder if this maybe if there were more of them like if there were a critical mass of of like decent sneak attack sneak attacks, um, 
then we might see it being worth it for decks to like try to build around them. Like if you can get to the point where you are likely to draw a sneak attack in a game, then it's like, oh, that changes what kind of decks are possible. Whereas there's kind of only the one sneak attack, like Perforos, um, Bronze Blooded. I don't know if that one gets there. Um, just as a, a card in the 99. Uh, so maybe it's just that like the one sneak attack in your deck isn't worth building your whole thing around. Yeah, um, that that might be it. It's just like if it's just a component of the whole, then what's the point? Yeah. That being said, there are some decks where it's really good because it does like get cards from your hand into your graveyard in a way that generates value for like the reanimator decks, for like the Felden decks, uh, for like the Chainer decks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hmm, it might just, maybe it's just the price tag because like the adoption is lower than you would expect in things like Felden. Or, or even like Obeka. I know, um, yeah. Olivia Crimson Bride. Maybe it's just the the price tag, or, or or like maybe it's fallen out of people's awareness. Yeah, and that could be it. Because uh, again, it's something we've been finding out on this show is just like how few people look back at cards. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very much what is on the the public awareness, and what is on the public awareness is perpetual hype um so maybe yeah maybe it is just literally new players aren't aware of sneak attack who knows um this next card is one that i I thought was more ubiquitous but i guess it is very niche card this is voltaic key it's a one mana artifact voltaic key says one tap untap target artifact Uh, it is in seventeen thousand decks and i think something that's cool about voltaic key is that um the original printing voltaic key that was in urza saga is not actually a painting or anything it's a photograph uh and so oh what's his name henry d something yeah so he uh did a few pieces of art for wizards that were this where they were just like actual like sculptures that he photographed with like very particular lighting um so yeah worn power stone is another one of those mm mm-hmm yeah, so really cool. Like that's that I think that's awesome. Um so if you have not seen the original Voltaic art, you should check it out. Um But yeah, this is just if you have I, I play Voltaic Key in a lot of decks where like I have a bunch of mana rocks that tap for like three or more. Um I play it in decks where I love tapping and untapping stuff. I've been thinking about a new deck to tap and untap a bunch of stuff <laughs> lately. Mm-hmm. Um Voltaic Key is great if you can copy it. I have a Kirkesh deck where I can pay red to untap Voltaic Key in another thing, and I can just kind of keep doing that. You know, it's it's great. This is just a, a little piece. It's fetchable with a Trinket Mage. Um, you can get it back with Salvaging Station. Uh, it's just a little workhorse, just a little tiny thing that can do so much. Um, and it is in 17,000 decks on EDA Trek. Yeah, I... I think this is a fantastic card. I just love how this and Manifold Key um, sort of extend the utility of your other mana rocks. Like if you have a critical mass of mana rocks that tap for two or more, then Voltaic Key becomes mana positive and it becomes worth it to run it in your deck. Um, 
So I, I love that it sort of adds power and acceleration, but only in a specific type of deck that is already running a bunch of like ran dynamos and worn power stones and such. Um, very neat little card. Yeah. Just strangely powerful for like being such a little tiny piece, <laughs> a little <laughs> tiny artifact. This next card I know is not played as much because it's constrained by price. This is Yagma's Will. Uh, this is famously one of the most powerful magic cards from this set. It is a three mana sorcery, uh, two and a black. Yagma's Will uh, now says, uh, until end of turn, you may play cards from your graveyard. So this in- includes lands and stuff. Um, if a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. So what it does is you pay three mana and you can play anything out of your graveyard till the end of the turn. So what you used to do with this is you'd play a bunch of rituals, dark ritual, lotus petal, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, and generate a bunch of value. Is basically card draw too, because every card that you've cast, you are now casting again. So you didn't need to have uh, like a super big grip. You just had to have enough. And it was pretty good with Memory Jar. <laughs> so you generate a bunch of mana, a bunch of value, uh, Memory Jar. Uh, and then one of the cards that you get off of your Memory Jar on the first hit is a Yagmoth's Will. You cast it again. You cast all those rituals again. You cast Memory Jar again. <laughs> and then at the end of that turn, your opponent dies to Megrim. So pretty easy to assemble. Uh, this is in 17,000 decks on EDA Trek. Um, I have been playing magus of the will in one of my decks and as even as like a way worse version of this i'm still always amazed at like how much value i can get out of the effect um if if people tend to have if you have a yagmoth's will um you'll probably know that it is really good it always is better than it looks (laughs) like every single time i've ever seen a yagmoth's will cast even if it was just for like a little bit of value sometimes it's just like three mana draw three in black and you're like Hmm, that actually that's, that's a fine that's, rate. That's pretty good. Yeah. And sometimes it's way more than that. So yeah, just a crazy card. Yeah. Insane that they printed something like that. Yes. Uh, I don't have too much to add to that. I'm happy to move on to the next card, which I have a, a bit more experience with. Mm-hmm. Um this is Argothian Enchantress. It is one and a green for a zero one creature human druid with shroud, so it can't be the target of spells or abilities. And whenever you cast an enchantment spell, draw a card. Uh I need to check this number again because i want to make sure it's not gotten higher since i initially did the the research for this episode no Uh, wow still surprisingly pretty low uh so this is currently in sixteen thousand decks on edh rec despite being like either like one of the best enchantress creatures and enchantress being a relatively popular archetype um that's probably in part due to the fact that it's 37 dollars on tcg player at the moment yeah <laughs> uh, but it's just like the most efficient uh creature enchantress and it is also like harder to interact with than most enchant than all the other enchantresses yeah <laughs> um so it's just a, a very powerful card uh given that it's not on the reserve list i would love to see this reprinted again so that people can make use of it because yeah I mean, what with all the like sagas and and Goshintai and shrines, there's been a lot of attention on uh, enchantment subtypes lately, and this is a card that a lot of people I think could stand to benefit from. Yeah, this is actually one of the cards where I I probably would have played with it, but I've just never owned one 
because it's pretty much always been like a decent expense. Like even when it was like seventeen and eighteen dollars, that was when there there was, was a second. There was a like a blink of an eye right after the printing in Eternal Masters, um, which is God, I guess in like twenty sixteen, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> there there was a blink of an eye where it was like four fifty. Oh wow, thought, you know, okay. Like, yeah. But uh, obviously that did not last very long. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, this is I mean, it's a classic. I think this is just a card that people when they see it, they remember it because they're like, oh geez. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um But that's it. That's that's uh where we're gonna end our staples. I mean, that that was a lot of cards. This set had a lot of heavy hitters in it. Um, but there's some cards that we just wanna Give a little bit of extra attention to these are our pet cards okay we both have five let's let's uh, alternate so okay. do you want to go first yes uh so my first card is faith healer this is one in a white for a one one creature human cleric and it has sacrifice and enchantment gain life equal to the sacrifice enchantments mana value um so i love sack outlets this is and but there have been surprisingly few uh outlets for enchantments that have been printed over the years. This is one of a very small number. So this gives you something useful. Uh, It has a lot of neat synergies. Like, you know, if you play an Oblivion Ring or Journey to Nowhere, some of the like early templated uh, banishing effects where they have two separate triggers, you can like cast it. And then with the first trigger on the stack, uh, sacrifice it and then never have to give the thing back. It's also great for just reusing things. Like this card is best friends with Hall of Heliod's generosity. You can just get the same powerful enchantment-based effect every single turn. Um, It's really good if you are trying to do stuff with enchantment creatures. Um, This is because it'll like serve as a sack outlet, and then you can reanimate them or whatever. Uh, I just think this is a super neat card. I wish that there were more... Um, I wish that there were more enchantment sack outlets like it. I wish there was more enchantment recursion that could get things like directly to the battlefield, um, or rather enchantment reanimation. And uh, I'm, I just think it's cool. I like it. Something that if we had more of, like a bunch of cards in white, would get a lot better. So, like one of those things where you really don't need to, like reinvent the wheel you can just just put a few more enchantment sacks into the color and all of a sudden you'll have some archetypes showing up you know or some new new play patterns with cards that already exist um and i think that's great so i went in weberg order for the most part uh i think we both kind of did for the most part um and my first card is catastrophe um so catastrophe is a six mana sorcery from urza saga it's four white white. It says destroy all lands or all creatures. Creatures destroyed this way cannot be regenerated. Uh, so it's a six mana Wrath of God or a six mana Armageddon. Um, it's not very heavily played. It's a worse version of both of those cards. It's only in like 26,000 or sorry, sorry, 2,600 <laughs> decks on EDA track. Um, and on top of just liking the art a lot, the Andrew Robinson art always got me. Um, it's like very stylized and cool. I, I just have noticed when I play this card, because I've cast it for the Armageddon part and just won games off of it. 
But the fact that like most of the time I'm casting it as a board white, people seem to be like pretty okay with it. So even though it is worse, even though like, yeah, there are games that probably uh, when I think Nick and some other friends had Edgar Markov decks in the meta for a while, um, it just was not good enough in that meta. Most of the time when I'm playing with friends, it's fine, even though I'm kind of nerfing myself because the games when I do get to cast it for the Armageddon side are like very funny and memorable. Um, and I like that kind of flexibility on it. So this is absolutely a pet card. I'm not actually advocating for anyone to play it, but um, my first meta in Commander was very Armageddon heavy, um, but in a, if you can say positive way, <laughs> like like you didn't just cast Armageddon on turn four, you cast Armageddon on turn four because you were winning Like after that. It was like, all right, bunch of stuff, Armageddon, and we're all like, hmm, well, I guess we're all scooping. Next game. <laughs> and that's what Catastrophe kind of reminds me of. Uh, can give you a little bit of that um, where you're like, hmm, I think I'm winning. Are you guys going to scoop if I blow up the lands? And everyone goes, yeah. And I go, nice. And then we play another game. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my white card for the set. I have some six mana enchantments, nudge, nudge, wink, wink on my list. What's your uh, your next card? Well, speaking of mass land destruction, uh, yeah. my next <laughs> card is uh sunder it is three blue blue instant return all lands to their owner's hands uh this is a very messed up magic car oh yeah that's so so stupid um so first off it gives mass land destruction uh to the to another color to blue that otherwise wouldn't really have good access to it outside of like stasis type effects um and it puts on an instant so it's like relatively easy for that color identity to dig it out so even just having even the uh even just having one is like enough because you can run like mystical tutor to get my sunder you can run solve the equation to get my sunder so on and so forth and this is just like uh how blue based like creature decks can win the game um uh, we have a friend who uses it in or Maybe he took it out because our, our meta isn't quite so friendly <laughs> to this kind of stuff these days. But um, uh, he had it in his Talran deck. Um, it's just like the best way to end the game kind of out of nowhere, or like prevent interaction from your opponents. Uh, and just it being an instant is is super messed up. <laughs> like really. Yeah. Uh, just why? Why, <laughs> why did they do that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to bounce all lands like during your combat step or like during your end step. Like, ugh. Yeah, you're like, oh, oh, God. So oh, did brutal. you play a land this turn? All right, Sunder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And uh, just, you know, indicative of the set at large, I feel like this is pretty close to just what was happening at the time. Um, so my one of my pet cards it's time spiral. I've put this card in so many decks. I so uh just a little background like Time Twister is one of my favorite magic cards, but I've never owned it. So when I was younger, I picked up a bunch of time spirals because there are points when they weren't like 100, 200, whatever much yeah. money they are now. Um and I've just had them. <laughs> and I put them into decks just cuz I like the gameplay. Uh they're usually not combo decks. They're usually like I have one in my pirates list. So if you've played with me at an event recently, I might have time spiraled and uh, given you a new hand and you're welcome. Um, But it's just so powerful. It's so indicative of this time period. And I feel like uh, unless you are uh, 
really pushing it and trying to do something busted. Like these kind of draw sevens are uh, not absurd in Commander. You know, like uh, uh, Days Undoing is a card I played with a lot as well. Um, and I feel like that's pretty fair. I do like how it messes up other people's hands. I like how it messes up graveyards. Um, I like getting seven new cards. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I just think that it's this really fun, iconic card. I think Time Spiral uh, is not only indicative of the time period, but just like uh, it's something we can look back at it, laugh, uh, look back on and laugh and be like, wow, they thought this was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's also one of those cards where like you can put it in a pirate deck and it's not breaking the game, you know, like everyone goes, Oh, time spiral. And then you keep playing, you know? Um, so I can play with a card of this magnitude in a deck of that caliber. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like, it's okay. So yeah, I, I really like this card. I played with it. I've cast probably dozens, if not hundreds of time spirals in my, my lifetime at this point. Um, which I guess gets us to your next card, Nick. Yes. Uh, this is an, <laughs> I wasn't trying to make a, a theme like, <laughs> of mana denial, but here we go. Um, on my list, I have uh, Contamination. This is two and a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, uh, sacrifice a creature or sacrifice Contamination. Or rather, sacrifice Contamination unless you sacrifice a creature. Uh, and then whenever a land is tapped for mana, it produces black instead of its normal type and amount. Uh Although longtime listeners will know that like Infernal Darkness is always my my number one favorite black mana denial card. Contamination is a, a close second. It, I I did used to play it back in the day. Uh, just like kept feeding my blood gas and my reassembling skeleton to it in order to shut down everyone's mana and make it. To, but of course, it would not affect my mono black deck running this card. Yeah, um, <laughs> very very. Uh, messed up magic card they definitely don't make them like this anymore uh but it's just a great way to prevent interaction in a black color identity it's been a very very long time since i've put this card in a deck but i'm happy it exists yeah i put um it's like brother card the um infernal Infernal darkness Darkness in a few decks recently yeah Yeah. Um, but that's mostly because i don't have a contamination (laughs) um (laughs) But yeah, this I, I agree with you. This card is wild. I think the art is awesome. So it's Stephen Daniel. Um, oh yeah, you I can see uh, a witch engine in the background. Yeah, so cool. So I, I I really like pretty much most things about this card. And as you might be able to guess from my first card, also being mana denial sometimes, like I'm fine playing in metas like that. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's fine. We'll just it's we'll either play through it and have a good time and laugh about it or or uh the game ends you know whatever so this next one is is uh also a crazy card that uh i think i remember it as a kid being expensive but maybe that's because i was like 11 but um it was ill-gotten gains is my next card so ill-gotten gains is a four mana black sorcery cost two and two black it says uh each player discards their hand and then puts three cards from their graveyard into their hand and then you exile ill-gotten gains so i i love recursion i love playing out of the graveyard i love discarding my hand <laughs> i will discard as many cards to whatever i love it um glint horn buccaneers instantly became one of my most favorite cards as soon as it was printed um which is uh pings people whenever you discard stuff i played with ill-gotten gains i, I still 
play with it. I think it's it's so funny to like watch somebody take like a long time in their turn and they're sculpting their hand and they're drawing all these cards and then you just go like ill-gotten gains and they go oh (laughs) (laughs) and they have to pick like the three cards that will get them out of that mess and normally if they're the type of player that can like do a turn like that they can do what they need with three cards but that's also kind of why i like this card um it's a way to get stuff in your graveyard um Sometimes you don't have a discard outlet or sometimes you're like, oh, I just really wish I had one more shot at that Rishkar's expertise or something like that. Well, Ill-Gotten Gains is here for you. Um, also, recursion of any card type in black is pretty rare, except for <laughs> Urza's block with a Yagmoth's will and stuff like that. So I thought Ill-Gotten Gains has been pretty good for me. Um, and the amount of disruption that it lends to people is really interesting. Um, so... Yeah, it, this is this has been one of my pet cards. I've also cast this card like dozens of times over the years, and um, I think it deserves a little bit more love than than what it's gotten. Um, I, I think it's not even played so. Oh, okay, it's in two thousand eight hundred decks. So yeah, it's really just not played that that much. And we're rounding it out. So what's one of your uh, what's one of your pet cards, Nick? What's one of the last ones? All right, uh, fourth on my list uh, is Bedlam. This is two red red for an enchantment. Extremely simple text. Creatures can't block. Uh, So this, of course, uh, this is playing with fire. This is something that like can potentially backfire on you incredibly. Uh, But it, wow, does it change the game and wow, does it accelerate (laughs) things like so often, you know, games of commander can end up in a little bit of like a grindy board stall where everyone's got like a board that's decent enough that it's not super profitable to attack. Bedlam just cuts right through the Gordian knot. It just really accelerates the pace of the game where guarantees that like every point of power on board is being <laughs> used to lower yeah. life totals every single turn. Yeah, it's pretty uh, wild. <laughs> really, really uh, fun card if you like short games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you like short games, if you often have more power than your opponents, uh, if your opponents often aren't playing a lot of creatures, uh, if your opponents play a lot of chump blockers, Bedlam's probably for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's I've played Bedlam in some decks and it... Uh, <laughs> It's like it almost like I took it out not even because it was bad, but because I was like, this is too fast. <laughs> like we need some kind of breaks on this. There's gotta be some kind of interaction. Cause it just yeah, all gas, no breaks with this guy. <laughs> so funny. All right. What's um, your fourth card? Yeah, so my next one is uh so my last card I'm not gonna talk a lot about, but this one I, I kind of have to because it's lifeline. So lifeline is an artifact from uh Rummers of Saga, that's five mana. Um, and I'm going to read you the errata text, because I think it's a little bit more clear. Well, it's basically the same, but it's it's a little bit more clear. So Lifeline says, whenever a creature dies, if another creature is on the battlefield, return the first card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So what this means in practice is that uh, whenever a creature dies, as long as there is a creature still alive on the battlefield, at the end of the turn, you just bring that card back. You, there's a trigger now where it will come back to the battlefield at the end of the turn. Um, I have played this card in a ton of like aristocracy, sacrifice decks. Um, I 
most notably used it in my like Asmira Holy Avenger list, which turned into my like Dragon Lord Jermoka deck, um, which turned into my Safi Eric's daughter deck. Um, this card just does so much work. It's currently in my like Timnasin gear deck, and it's it's on the reserve list, so it is now commanding a pretty high price tag. It's like forty bucks, but um, it's really interesting how the calculus of the board and attacks changes when a lifeline is in play. Basically, like what ends up happening. Most of the time is that the the game like slows to a, a crawl because people go, oh, why even like cast this? Or like there's an indestructible creature and you're like, well, now my board wipe doesn't work. Because that is one of the things that does work is if, if you cast a Wrath of God with a lifeline out, everything still dies. But uh, if you cast a Wrath of God and I have a carrion feeder out and I sack most of my board to carrion feeder, they're all going to come back at the end of the turn and your cards aren't. <laughs> so it's like, there's this tug of war there between like, oh, well, do I do this now or do I wait for Zach to do something else? Um, I think the gameplay is really fun. Um, if you're into long games of magic, <laughs> this is a card for you. Uh, otherwise, I would really, really not play this in most playgroups. Like this, this does, like I said, it slows the game down massively. Uh, and I enjoy that. Uh, and, and when I'm playing it, I'm usually playing it in very proactive decks where I'm like, sacking the same few creatures on every player's turn to get some incremental advantage and i can kind of take off from there but if you're just playing it in general i would say please don't do that <laughs> i would say just just play uh some other aristocracy thing but this card is one of my favorite cards in this in this set um i love the art i love um like what it does to the game uh, like seeing how it affects things and it, it it's in less than 2000 decks on EDA track. Uh, I, I think partly because of the price and partly because like no one actually knows what it does. <laughs> yeah. And and you absolutely have to make sure that you are able to use this better than everyone else. Like if, mm-hmm. if there is a, the whisper of a chance uh, that anyone else has a sack outlet and ETB creatures, you're going to have a terrible time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really just, bad time. It's just a slog fest at that point. I played against someone who was playing a uh, Gaunti lord of luxury list one time uh, uh, yeah. and it came uh, down to me and them and just the two of us just like <laughs> just <laughs> grinding out this thing like okay i have exiled your thing oh you stole my kami of false hope like oh no mm-hmm. like it was it was pretty gnarly it was it's fun and you know i think about it but if you're not into that just steer clear but i love lifeline i i have so many fond memories with this card all right uh, i'm gonna move on to my final card my final pet card uh, this is Sitinal Hierophants. It's three and a green for a 3-2 creature human druid. Each creature you control has tap, add green. Back in the day, this is before, like, Cryptolith rites, you really only had access to this and Earthcraft as ways to just, like, convert an army of creatures, you know, into mana dorks. But it's such a powerful effect. I loved running this in token decks. Still a good card. Like, we haven't gotten a critical mass of these types of effects and yeah just the ability to like run efficient token generators and immediately like well like give them haste with the lightning greaves and suddenly i've just recouped all my mana i just pumped into this pest infestation like really really powerful effect and i I just love this card and it it is getting a reprint um in the near future so maybe that'll bump up its numbers but right now it's definitely a hidden gem yeah, I, I used to play this a lot back in the day, too. I played it in my Ulash the Hate Seed deck back in like 2011 or something like that, um, which was so funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I also 
have a there's just a soft spot in my heart for Sentinel Hierophants. Um, which gets me to my last card, which I'm I do not need to talk about a lot because I already did. It's Voltaic Key. So I still play this card a lot. I play it in my Kurkesh deck. I play it in I played it in multiple decks. I played it in my Noyan Dar deck. Uh, when that was a thing, I've played it in uh like red blue artifacts. I played it in Esper artifacts. I've I played it all over the place. Artifacts all over the place. Um I love this card. Uh I think the different arts are really cool. I think the uh like I said, just the little little effect so being able to untap an artifact can be like such a big thing um and it only costs one mana it's easy to fetch um it's cool yeah so that's it that's those are my pet cards um those are next pet cards let us know your pet cards honestly like this set in particular has done like it's it's probably one if i if i could think of a set that has done like the most for commander this is in my like top five for sure um it might be i don't know i'd have to think about that like it might be number one because there's like battle bond and like there, there's like only a few sets that have done to commander what urza saga has done for commander you know yes, what i mean very true um so let us know your favorite cards let us know what other sets you'd like us to do because these seasons past are like it's fun for us to go down memory lane but a lot of you listening might not have been playing statistically likely that a lot of people haven't been playing back then so uh, if you'd like to hear more about like specific time period stories um we love doing it so we'd love to to keep doing them if you're into it um yeah i think we're probably going to keep with the pattern of like maybe one set per block Um, yeah but if there is a set in particular you want us to talk about definitely let us know uh we enjoy doing these and and finding fun stories from the past to share with you all Mm-hmm. And and this one I feel like was very topical, being that <laughs> Brothers War <laughs> just came out. Um, I think it's it's interesting to look at the a lot of the references that. Uh, so like Nick was talking about Sentinel Hierophants, and you kind of get to see like, oh, well, who were these like Sentinel people in Brothers War a little bit better than we were able to get back in Urza Saga? So or like we see Argothian Enchantress, and mm-hmm. like we we get all these references to Argoth in the Brothers War yeah exactly so i think it's cool i think um it's it's cool to be able to uh like square that circle of magic's history and like where these references are coming from especially if you haven't you haven't heard them before or maybe it's just been a while because i know for me it's been a while since i looked at uh some of these cards (laughs) it's just i just don't really don't really play with a lot of these cards and or that like baron you know been a while since i've seen him not really looking at peregrine drake the same these days like so yeah definitely but it's a fun set and we hope you had fun listening yes uh and with that i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are gustav addison rick Raphael, kyle laser charlotte the white clays hannah james logan roger bryce dylan benjamin jamie matthew kyle brandon kevin jeremy russell dylan micah troy roxanne charles daniel andrew jo- Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Fugger, Riddle, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Zach, Quincy, Carrie, Steven, and the Longs. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commandertheory. And on Twitter, I am at fatbartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. 
Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. 